Welcome to Desert City Church's podcast. Thanks for listening in. What you are about to hear is a sermon given live at one of our Sunday gatherings. We are a new church serving neighborhoods on the edge of North Phoenix and Scottsdale, Arizona. Our sermons are ongoing conversations around a sacred text or scripture in which we find the story of Jesus. We hope they inspire you to love God and others more. If we can serve you in any way or answer any questions about our community, please don't hesitate to ask. You can find out more info at DesertCityChurch.com. It's so good to see you here today. I've had a couple weeks off, and I just wanted to say thank you to Tom Hagedon and Tyler Ells for filling in uh, while we were uh, basically taking a break. My wife and I just had a baby two weeks ago, and uh, we're finally like coming out of the baby bubble to the land of the living, and it's good to see people, but I'm really tired. So if you want to open up to Romans chapter 12, uh, that's where we will get started today. Uh, Late in the fourth century... Uh, in the city of Milan, in what is now present-day Italy, there was a man who had a moment that changed his life forever. And the man's name was Augustine, or Augustine if you're from Florida. (laughs) Augustine uh, was an intellectual. He was a philosopher. Uh, His mom was a Christian and his dad was not. And so his mom had been praying that he would come to know who Jesus was. And as an intellectual, he would wrestle with all sorts of different philosophies and religions. He was also, uh, history tells us, a really good-looking young man. And so uh, early on in his life, he lived uh, a pretty, uh, he liked to party, we, we could say that. And later on, he talks about his life and confessions. But as uh, he was in Milan this day, he was at a friend's house walking through his garden And he was contemplating the truthfulness of Christianity, knowing that his mom had been praying for him, and he had all sorts of doubts. But as he's walking through the garden, he heard these children singing a song, and they were singing in Italian, uh, and so I couldn't repeat what the words were. But it had something, some sort of cadence to these words, tole lege, tole lege, which means take and read. And this children's song they were singing, Tole Lege, Tole Lege, Augustine heard that. And he felt like this was a a message from God, that God was speaking to him as he was sitting there contemplating his doubts about who God is. So he ran and found a Bible. And he opened it up to the book of Romans. And as he's reading through Romans, he felt like God speaks to him clearly in a way that he had never heard from God before. And in that moment, Augustine says this, and it was recorded in his book, Confessions. It says, by a light, as it were, of security infused into my heart, all the gloom of doubt was vanished away. It talks about this warming of his heart, this light that comes in. And all the gloom of doubt about who God is and what God is up to in this world changes. And then all of a sudden, this this young, talented, high-capacity leader gives his life to the church, and he starts working. And he probably becomes the most influential theologian and pastor and author in the early church, becomes St. Augustine, has this moment where something in his heart is enlightened. God speaks to him through the book of Romans, and he gives his life to the church. Over the last two months, we've been going through this series called Rooted, What We Believe and Why It Matters. 
And so we've been kind of looking at all these uh, kind of big questions about Christianity and faith. And the question that we're kind of wrapping the, the series up today is why is the church important? Why is the church important? And I think it's an important question, especially for our culture. Um, why, is it, why is it we do what we do? Why is it that we come here? Why is it that we gather? Why is the church important? And I want to wrestle with that today. And as we, we hear from Augustine, what we find is this is something that uh, he gets very excited about, being a part of the church. And he helps kind of lead and shape what the church is uh, really for like the next thousand years. Uh, he becomes kind of like the leading voice. And as we consider this question, why is the church important? I want to turn to this uh, book that Augustine finds God in, Romans. It's this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church that was gathered in Rome. Rome, the capital of the empire at the time. In Romans chapter 12, as Paul's writing to this church, he's kind of giving them uh, kind of directions on how to do life with one another. And he says these words in Romans 12, verse 4, and we'll read through 18. It says this, For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same func function, so in Christ, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. So he starts to talk about this idea of the church, and he uses the metaphor of a body. He says, We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us, if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. And then he says, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. And on and on these instructions go. And it's interesting, they're very specific, and they have to do with relationships. How we are in relationships with other people. He stresses this living in harmony. And as you read through that, you see these phrases, these phrases like one another and everyone and others. Church essentially is about people and relationships, how we do life together. Uh, one of my favorite theologians, uh, this man named N.T. Wright, says the church exists primarily for two closely correlated purposes, to worship God and to work for his kingdom in the world. But the church also exists for a third purpose, purpose which serves the other two, to encourage one another, to build one another up in faith, to pray with and for one another, to learn from one another, to teach one another, and to set one another, 
examples to follow, challenges to take up, and urgent tasks to perform. This is all part of what is known loosely as fellowship. So to be a part of a church, the church is so important, I think, is because the church is this sacred community of people who are united by the Spirit of God. This group of people that do life together in harmony. It's a sacred group. One of the early words for these churches were called ecclesias, which are these congregations that are called out, these gatherings of people who are, are set apart for a specific purpose. And that became the, the idea of the church is this, this group of people, this sacred community that lives in harmony together. The church is important because it's where we find authentic relationships. We're able to do life in community. This is extremely important, especially, I think, in our culture. Our culture that is moving so quickly, our culture that isolates, our culture uh, that's very individualistic. And that's not a bad thing, but there's these unintended consequences that come from our individualism. A church is a sacred community, this gathering of people who are united by the Spirit of God who live in harmony. Jesus says uh, this, this harmony thing is so important. He says, people will know me by how you love one another. Church is important because it's the sacred community. In another one of Paul's letters uh, to the church in Ephesus, in Ephesians, he talks about this idea of the purpose of the church. And there's like two big themes that are in this letter in Ephesians. The first is that... Uh, that Jesus, the identity of Jesus, he's God's instrument of reconciliation and salvation in this world. That, that Jesus is the embodiment of the truth of God. And so we want to know what God is like. We look to Jesus. We look to his life. He reveals the heart of God to us. But then Paul talks about the church now is the living embodiment of Jesus here on earth. And so for him, the, the, the church is this living organism, organism where, where Jesus is still present because of people. And so as we encounter each other, uh, there's the opportunity to encounter Christ because of how we do life together. He says in Ephesians 1, and 23, And God placed all things under his feet, Jesus, and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So the sacred community, when we gather together, we're called the body of Christ. This group of people who are committed to being the hands and the feet and the heart of, of God here on this earth. The sacred community. 1 Timothy 3.14 talks about this is the church of the living God. That God lives in us and through us. Uh, for me, uh, I grew up in the church, and I'm actually a pastor's kid. And I feel like if you're a pastor's kid, there's this like stigma that you're probably like super rebellious. And uh, I am. I mean, rebel without a cause, but um, had my rebellious days. Right? Uh, no, but I, I grew up in the church, and I actually had I had just this this great experience in the church. Uh, growing up around a community of people. And that's not the case with everyone, especially pastor's kids. And it's not the case with maybe some of you. Maybe you didn't have a chance to have just healthy community to be in in the church. 
And so when we think about like the importance of church, there's kind of like baggage that comes with it. But this is the place uh, where, where God resides. The church is the community where the presence of the living God resides. That is why that is important. God reveals himself to the world through his people, among other things. For me, I remember growing up in the church, uh, I, I, there was this, uh, I, I got to see kind of the community on display, the community of, of people committed to doing the things of Jesus. And it was super formative for me and inspiring. I remember uh, when I was like eight years old, uh, I, I was at church and there was this older man in the, in the church named Bob Frick. And uh, his granddaughter, Julie, comes to our church actually, I don't know if she's here today. Uh, but I remember Bob, uh, I, I kind of knew him, he was kind of like this grandfather figure in the church, and the church did this thing right around Easter every year, uh, where they would come together on this, uh, like, Monday Thursday, this Holy Thursday service, and we would take communion, and we would kind of hear kind of the passion of, uh, the Christ, uh, passion of Christ going to the cross, and then they would do this thing called foot washing, and if you've been around church, you know what it is, and if you haven't been around church, it sounds super weird, just go with it. Uh, they would do this thing where everyone would get in a room, and all the men would go to one room, and the women would go to another room, and uh, they, would, they would read through the passage where Jesus washes his disciples' feet. And then they would take their shoes off, and they would wash each other's feet as this kind of like symbolic act of serving one another. And I remember I was sitting next to this, this man, Bob Frick, who was this grandfatherly figure, and uh, I remember like as he took his shoes off and his socks off, I saw his feet. He was pretty old. And I just remember this blue toenail that was like barely hanging on. And I was like eight and I was terrified. <laughs> and I wanted to get away from him. And the whole time I was thinking, I hope we're not going in a circle in order because I'm going to have to wash his feet. And I didn't want to do that because I was terrified. And I remember that's not how it worked. And somebody else came up to, to Bob and washed his feet. And I remember watching that thinking, even as, as a young boy, this is an act of sacrifice. <laughs> this is an act of love. And I remember he washed Bob's feet, and they stood up, and they hugged each other. And I started thinking, even then, like, this is, this is what church is. This is the church is a community of people who find old, ugly feet with toenails that are falling off, and they wash them. That probably sounds disgusting. But I remember it was this formative event in my life. And then as I, as I grew up, I, I saw the community take care of each other, people who served and loved and they lived in harmony with each other, much like this Romans passage talks about. My family, my dad had this water skiing accident uh, up at Lake Powell, and it snapped his neck. And uh, they thought he was going to be paralyzed. They actually flew him from a helicopter all the way from Lake Powell uh, down to Central Phoenix and went through the surgery where they took part of his hip and rebuilt his uh, spine Pretty crazy surgery. He was in the hospital for like six weeks. And I just remember the church coming around us and loving us and supporting us in that time. And so I had this experience where I could see the harmony of God's people, love, sacrifice, uh, taking care of each other. And it, and it was like, for me, this, this is a revelation of who God is, that there are these people in this world that make the world better, that are connected to God's spirit. And it was almost much like Augustine, there, my, my experience growing up in this community of love and hope and peace and light, uh, something inside of my heart uh, was enlightened, and the gloomy doubt was taken away. The church is important. 
Because when it's on display, when it's healthy, when it's a sacred community, it reveals to the world what God is like. The Spirit of God is here. It resides in the church. And I think that's why Paul is saying this is so important in Romans 12, how we treat each other, how we do life together. Because we're an example of the heart of God. And that doesn't say that we're trying to be more righteous than other people. It doesn't say that we're trying to be more holy than other people. Like, that, that's not, the, the, that's not the, the end. It's living as this sacred community called out, set apart, where God lives among us. Where God lives among us. There's a, an author named Ed Stetzer, who's also a pastor, who... He's a New Yorker, but he moved to Nashville to plant a church, and he talks about kind of moving from the north into like a southern city. And uh, as he got to Nashville and he, he plants this church, he starts learning a little bit about the history of Tennessee. And if you, you know kind of how Tennessee is shaped, uh, he talks about, he didn't realize this, but Tennessee is really kind of separated into three almost like sub-states. You have like West Tennessee, Middle Tennessee, and then East Tennessee. And as he got there, he started to realize, like, there's huge cultural differences here between the people that live in each, like, sub-state. And, he, and uh, as he had kind of learned the history of East Tennessee, he found out that back in, right around the time of the Civil War, East Tennessee had kind of an issue with Middle Tennessee and West Tennessee. And Middle Tennessee and Western Tennessee were more kind of like rural farmland. And so as the whole... Uh, the whole issue about slavery started to become uh, really important in our country. Uh, Middle Tennessee and West Tennessee uh, wanted to keep it. And Eastern Tennessee, which was more hilly and mountainous and their economy didn't depend on farming, uh, had much more influence by the North, uh, wanted to do away with slavery. And so that became within a state there's tension between what are we going to do? And the rest of Tennessee was saying, we're going to join this rebellion and get out of the Union. So when the Union attacks Fort Sumter, we have Tennessee seceding from the Union. And at that same time, Eastern Tennessee, on the same day, secedes from Tennessee. And Setzer talked about the people in Tennessee are very proud about this. They said that they were rebelling against the rebellion. They were rebelling against the rebellion. Now, there's all sorts of like cultural stuff that goes uh, comes kind of with this story. But Setzer said what was so interesting to him is he, as he thought about the church, the church's role in this world, he said it's much like East Tennessee. There's this rebellion that is taking place in our world. And the church is this rebellion against the rebellion. It's, it's loyalty to the one who the rest of the world is rebelling against. And he started talking about this idea of, of the church in, in a world, it's like, it's like a colony of heaven in this culture of death. And the church is this place uh, where this sacred group of people come together and live counterculturally. But not just counterculturally to be different from everyone else, they live counterculturally for the common good. And when they talk about the importance of church, they would say, uh, that not only is it a countercultural movement in this, in this world that we live in, but it's counterformational. The world that we live in, uh, it, it's, it's obvious to just watch the news, is this place is, is broken. There is hurting, there is pain, there is hunger. Um, there are people who do terrible things. 
This world is in rebellion, and the church is this colony of heaven in this culture of death. I hope that's the cardinal scoring, by the way. <laughs> um, so Setzer talks about this idea that, that the community comes together, and we're, we're, we're countercultural for the common good. And it's, it's a place of counterformation. And everything in our world shapes us. Everything in our world is influencing us. And especially kind of like our context here, uh, when we think about like uh, our, our, our city, you know, what are, what are some of the things that, that uh, we, we buy into that just are lies? There, there's a lot of materialism. There's a lot of uh, pursuit of, of wealth. There's, uh, there's pursuit of pleasure. There's all these different things that we pursue uh, that, that our world tells us this is where you find fulfillment. And what the church does is the church says we, we are citizens of heaven. We are connected with this eternal kingdom. And our hope is to be formed into the likeness of Jesus. And so in the church, this, this counter-formational movement, we would say that, that the church would, would, would promote that grace is greater than shame. And we'd say that joy is greater than pleasure, that mission is greater than consumerism, that rest and Sabbath is greater than production, that hope is greater than wanting, that confession is greater than a facade, justice is greater than vengeance, forgiveness is greater than resentment, and community is greater than individualism. The church would say that family is greater than loneliness, Redemption is greater than regret. Love is greater than hate. Salvation, greater than enslavement. Life is greater than death. And heaven, greater than hell. We think about what it means to be a part of this sacred community. It's to allow the heart of God to form us. Not just the way that the world operates. We're citizens of the kingdom of heaven, this eternal uh, present reality and future destination. And we live as citizens of the kingdom here and now in this world, bringing life and light to the community. The fruits of the Spirit, the evidence of God's presence, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. The church is a community where counterformation happens. They say, we weren't meant to live uh, the way that the world wants us to live. We were meant to live with the perspective that there's this God who is sovereign, there's this kingdom that is eternal, and that even though we will die, we will rise again. And then finally, the church is a community where God's work continues where God's work continues. And we talk a lot about the work of God in this world. And, and I always say, God, God is always at work. There's the work that God did for us, which was on the cross, when Jesus died. There's the work that God did for us at that moment that breaks the chain of slavery in our lives. There's also the work that God does in us, which is this, re, this constant renewal of our lives. We're growing to be more like him. He's changing us to be more and more the kind of person that he originally intended. And there's the work that God does through us as a church and as a people. God is working through us. The story of uh, the sermon started in Milan, and I want to kind of close returning to Milan. There's a, 
a famous Italian composer named uh, Giacomo Puccini. Very Italian, Giacomo Puccini. And uh, he's probably one of the most famous Italian composers. And uh, kind of in the late, early 1900s, uh, he was becoming more and more famous. And people would come from all around to study under him, just this, this great composer, great writer of music. And he would put on these just elaborate concerts. Right around 1922, Giacomo Puccini was diagnosed with cancer. He was told that he doesn't have long to live. And uh, hearing that news, realizing his life was going to be cut short, he had this urgency that he had, he had uh, one more concert in him that he wanted to write. That he felt like it was going to be his life's work. This was going to be his magnum opus. And he wanted to get it out before he knew uh, death would take him. So he starts to, to write and compose. And he gets about halfway through it. And as he's fighting the cancer, his students who are close to him or around him say, are, are telling him, you need to stop working. You need to just focus on getting healthy, focus on being at peace. This, this is just speeding up the process. And uh, Giacomo Puccini would say, no, this, this is, I have to get this out of me. It's so important that I just have to get it out of me. And they would say, well, you're not going to finish it on time. And Puccini said, yes, but I need to get as much of it out of me as I can because my students are going to finish it on time. And he trusted that those he had been training were so close to his DNA and composing that they would finish this masterpiece that he was trying to get out. So eventually he, he goes into to surgery up in Brussels and he, he dies within a, a couple of weeks, real tragic event. But he's written more than half of this just an amazing piece. And in Milan, his students go to perform it. And his best student, his favorite student, uh, is the composer. And this concert starts, and all these people come to hear his last piece of work. And it, it is beautiful. It is a, a masterpiece. And as they're listening to this concert, and they're listening to the music, uh, the people are just blown away by the beauty of it. And then, just a little bit past halfway through the concert, his student stops and turns around and yells out to the crowd, this is where my master's pen stopped. And there's a silence that comes across the room. And everyone sitting in the concert hall sits in the silence, realizing that this is where the composing stopped for Puccini. And after a few moments of silence, the student turns around and says, but the students finish the work. And that is what we are now going to hear. And the concert went on. And the concert was celebrated by those who were close to Puccini, who finished writing this masterpiece. And I love that idea that the students finished the work. Because when I think of like what Jesus has done in this world, the work that he has done in this world, um, on the cross, uh, he's done this amazing work in the world. And we believe as a church that Jesus came, he walked among us, he died, and then he conquered death and he rose again. And then he ascended to heaven. And as he left, he looked at his students, he looked at those who were following him, and he said, continue this work here and now. And my spirit will be with you. And someday I'm coming back. But for now, you have this task. Finish writing. Finish composing. At one point, he tells his disciples in John 14, very, very truly I tell you, 
Whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. Jesus actually tells his disciples, what I'm doing, you're going to do even greater things than these. And there's so much like speculation about what that meant, but I think what it means is that this, this, this spirit of, of the living God now lives inside of each one of us. And in this room, we might have 75 people who are activated to do God's work in this world. And to be a part of the church is to join in this continuous work of God here and now. So why is the church important? Because it's a sacred community where the presence of God resides, where God's will is revealed to everyone that we encounter. It's this community where counterformation happens, bringing life in places of death. And it's a place where the mission of God gets lived out daily through faithfulness of people following him. So as we close today, Tim's going to come up, and we close, uh, we close each mo- uh, uh, service with a sacred moment, with communion. Uh, and for, for us, we, uh, we participate in open communion, so we'd say if, you, if you're a follower of Jesus, we invite you to come to the table. For us, communion is this symbolic act that represents God's work in the world. We take a piece of bread, and the bread represents the incarnation. It represents God becoming human, the body walking among us. And that body was broken open on the cross. And then we take a cup of juice. The juice represents the blood of Christ that was poured out on the cross that was shed. And we believe that through the breaking open of the body and the pouring out of the blood, all of the brokenness in this world gets put back together. All the things that enslave us, all the things Uh, all of the darkness is shattered on the cross. Today we invite you to the table to partake. But we also want to invite you, as you go to the table and you are reminded of what God does, the church is called the body of Christ. This metaphor that Paul uses, which means as we go to communion, uh, we're reminded that as the body of Christ, we also break ourselves open and pour ourselves out to the community. We join God in this gospel message. We make this place better. We live as citizens of heaven. And we also point people to this ultimate reality of returning to the Father. And so today, the invitation is to join this historic movement called the church. And maybe you still have all sorts of doubts, maybe you're like Augustine. We invite you to come and to belong to the community. Maybe you have to belong somewhere before you can believe. But the invitation is to come and to partake in what we're doing. Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you so much for this day. Lord, we thank you for the freedom to gather here. We can come into this elementary school cafeteria and you can meet us that something sacred could happen. And Lord, today we just ask for this encounter with you. That you would enlighten our heart. That you would soften our heart. That you would speak to us, Lord. That you would nudge us. That you would inspire us today to be your people. Lord, we're thankful for your church. We know there's baggage with it. We know there's uh, 
things that are are painful from our history historically but we also know that when it's on when it's living in harmony when it's doing the things that should be it's a beautiful community so we ask that you would continue to guide us and shape us as a new church to live together well to love well and that we would love neighbors Paul's so we give you this time we thank you for loving us. In your sons that we pray. Amen. Feel free to take communion when you are ready.